Well, good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, friends of Hemel Hempstead. We wish as we do, once a week we come out and we share the precious message of the Bible that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but shall have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him, says the Lord Jesus, might be saved. I wonder, friend, how much you know and understand about the Bible here this afternoon. Well, perhaps you take a little time to think upon the things that I'm going to quote from Scripture and to declare concerning the way of salvation. First of all, the Lord Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. Three very simple yet succinct statements that he makes about himself. I am the way. What way? The way to heaven. When he said that, he was speaking to his disciples and he was telling them that he was going to have to suffer, that he was going to have to die, that he was going to have to be put to death. Why? Well, the Bible makes very plain that all have sinned and justice would have to be paid for sin. Jesus Christ came into the world to lay down his life for an innumerable company of people that whoever believe upon him they shall have everlasting life. The Lord Jesus was going to have to go an unusual way to heaven. It would be the way of the cross. First of all, he lived the life that no man could live. That's why he is the way. He is the way because he lived the perfect way. When God the Father looked down there even at his baptism, he said, there was a voice from heaven that said, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. My dear friends, the Lord Jesus so different to you and to me. The Lord Jesus was without sin. You know, anybody could say of my life or your life that we're sinners. What is a sinner? Somebody that has sinned, somebody that has done wrong things. I know that's not uh, a very popular word today, sin. Some say it's an old-fashioned word. People say things like, well, it was a slip of the tongue. It was a white lie. Uh, I fell on the wrong side of the law. Friends, all of these things, whether it's adultery, whether it's a lie that you tell, whether it's unkindness, all of these things we know are wrong. That's why when we do them, we're ashamed. The fact that we are ashamed tells us that we have a conscience made in the image of God. Yet when the Lord Jesus Christ came into the world, there was not one lie that came from his lips. There was not one unkind thought from his heart. The Bible says he was holy, harmless, undefiled, and completely separate from sinners. He lived that perfect life. That's why he is the way. 
And then at the end of his life, what did he do? He came ultimately and chiefly to do this. He came to lay down his life for his sheep, for his people. His people are described as sheep because like sheep they have wandered far and long into this world. We think of a stray sheep. And uh, what do stray sheep need? They need a shepherd. And the Lord Jesus is the shepherd of men's souls, the one who is God and who gives his word for guidance. His word is truth. And his word tells us that we have strayed. And his word leads us back to him. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And he said, And no man comes to the Father but by me. What a wonderful way he is, having lived like no man has ever lived. And then finally laying down his life for sinners. You see, when we think of Christ's work and the necessity of him having to lay down his life, what does that tell us about God? It tells us that God requires justice against sin. Let me quote you another word, verse from the Bible. In Romans chapter 3, the Apostle Paul says, the wages of sin is death. That's why you die. That's why I die. We must all die because we have sinned. But then the Bible speaks of another death. It is called the second death. That second death, my dear friend, is when many will be cast away from the presence of God, not just for a little while, but for all eternity. You know, the Bible speaks of two places, two destinies, heaven or hell. There's no such place as the Catholics would teach as purgatory, some place where you can somehow work off or pay off your debts? No. The Bible is very clear that if we die without Christ, we die in our sins. Jesus said, if ye believe not that I am he that is the Messiah, you will die in your sins. Uh, my dear friend, do you know the way of salvation? It is only in Jesus Christ. You know, the Bible says there's no other name under heaven given amongst men whereby we must be saved. If you're to be saved, to be ready to go to heaven, to be with God, it has to be through that perfect substitutionary life. He lived a substitutionary life, the Lord Jesus. He lived in the place of his people. We have all sinned. But Jesus Christ never sinned. But the Bible says, when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, made under the law of God. My dear friend, he came to live under God's law. And he did so perfectly. You know, he could say, who can accuse me of sin? Many people can accuse me of sin. Even today, people can accuse you of sin. Do you know, over every day of your life and my life, 
if we had a journal for every day of our life, we could stamp that three-lettered word, sin, guilty, over every day of our life. And we could say we come short of God's glory. We all do. But not the Lord Jesus. Never. And yet, surely it should be astounding and should trouble us when we hear a man walking past or a woman walking past saying and using the name of the Lord Jesus as a swear word. Maybe you've been guilty of it yourself. You wouldn't dare take your mother's name or your father's name and use their name as a swear word. But friend, you take the name of God the Son as a swear word. That is a great sin. And you know many people are so guilty of this, but every law of God we have broken. We've not loved God with all of our heart, our soul, our mind and our strength. The first commandment tells us to have no other gods. What does that mean? Well, anything that you put before God, whether it be an actual God of the imagination of men's hearts, and of course there is only one God, and the Bible makes that very plain, that God made heaven and earth, but men have made, the Bible says, many inventions, many ideas of God, but also we've made gods or we've made idols of things yourself your looks your whole life all people sometimes can think about is themselves and they don't put god or others first or we've all been guilty of this my friend we've all been guilty of this it is called sin it is called selfishness and we've lived as if there is no God. Look at the lovely sun that is out here today. Who woke up today giving thanks to God for the sun, for the air, for the food that you have, for life itself? My friend, everything you and I are enjoying right now is a gift of God. He's giving you a life to live. He's giving you children, perhaps. You have parents, or you at least you have parents, otherwise you wouldn't have come into the world. All of these things. You owe God everything. He owes you nothing. We are great debtors to God, my friend. And it is a serious thing. It is an offense to ignore this God of heaven and earth. To pretend that he is not. And you know the Bible says, it is appointed unto man once to die, and after that the judgment. One day we will all stand before the Lord. You know the Lord Jesus said, don't marvel. He said, marvel not. The hour is coming in which all that are in the graves shall come out of the graves. Every man that has ever lived, every boy, every girl, at the voice of the Son of God will rise.
You know, God made everything by the power of his word. The Bible says he made all things in six literal days. And, and God could have done it in one day if he wanted. But he gave a pattern that men might have a day of rest and a day to think about God every week. But we don't. We have ignored God. But you know, the very God who made this world in six days will, at the twinkling of an eye, at the trump of God's archangel, will raise all men, my friends, from the grave. And some shall stand before him with a glorified body on that great and final day and shall see him. It is them that indeed have been saved and they will not be judged for their sin for they have received repentance and faith and trusted in the Lord Jesus who is the way, the truth and the life. He is the way because he is the perfect man. You know the Bible calls the Lord Jesus Christ the second Adam or the last Adam. It was by the first Adam sin came into the world and we are born sinners like our first parents. My mother and father never needed to teach me how to sin, how to lie, how to do wrong things. All of those things came perfectly natural to me. You know, nobody needed to teach me any of those things. They're instinctive because I am born a sinner. But what God does when he saves somebody and he brings them to the knowledge of his truth, the Bible says he makes them a new creature, a new person, so that they, they begin to loathe and they begin to hate their sin. And they begin to want to please the one who came into this world, the Lord Jesus. It is called being born again, being given a new heart, with a new mind with a, a longing now to please God. That is what makes a Christian tick. That is what make a, makes a Christian different. It's the love of God, Paul says, that constrains that man, that moves that man, that boy, that girl, that woman. They're thankful. They're not trying to earn salvation. You know, you talk to some people and you ask them, are you a Christian? And they say, well, yes, I am. And you ask them, what really constitutes a Christian? What makes a Christian? And they say things like this, well, I give to charity, I do this, I'm a good person. No, that's not a Christian. A Christian is somebody who is trusted on the Lord Jesus. Of course they have good works, but they're not trusting in those works. My friend, are you trusting in your so-called good life? Well, the Bible says all have sinned. All have come short of the glory of God. Yes, that's what the Bible says. You may not agree with it, but that is what the Scripture says. And your argument is with God. It's not with me. God's Word tells us that we are unclean and we try to hide our sins. And maybe we even imagine that somehow our good deeds will outweigh our bad deeds. No, my friend, the slightest infraction against God's law condemns us. 
And you know, we all stand guilty before a holy God, my dear friends. Each and every one of us as guilty sinners. And you say, well, what then is the good news? Well, Christ died for sinners to give to them his righteousness. You know, the Bible is constantly speaking in the Old Testament. For instance, in the book of Jeremiah, the Lord says, this is how people shall be saved. The Lord, our righteousness. God says of his people that their righteousness or their so-called goodness is of him. It's of Christ. Oh yes, you see, the Lord Jesus, so wonderful, fully obeyed the law. He did. I am the way, the way of a perfect life, the way of a substitutionary death. You know, in the Old Testament, my dear friends, the priest would lay his hand upon the sacrifice. And the sinner that believes upon Christ, as it were, lays hold upon Christ, trusting in him. There's a hymn sometimes we sing of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is a wonderful hymn. It speaks of Christ, the solid rock. And all other ground is sinking sand. We trust in his righteousness. We trust in his life, not our own. What are you trusting in? On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. Some people trust in their religious pilgrimages. What can that do for you? Or some experience. The Bible says the soul that sins shall die. And you see, the only hope, therefore, is the Savior of sinners. That's why he is called the Savior, because he actually saves. Christianity is about salvation. Other religions, I, I tell you, I can tell you in a one simple sentence, the vast difference between false religion and true religion. The religion of men, which is false, is about their good works. True saving religion, my friend, is about the works of Christ for his people, God the Son. It is about God's mercy. It is about God's kindness. Now, I wonder how you stand today, you pass by. Do you give much time to think about eternity. Maybe you're thinking tomorrow. Well, my friend, tomorrow may never come for you. May never come for me. James says, what is your life? It is but a vapor. Look at the puff of smoke or steam come out of the kettle. How quick it's gone. James says, that is your life. What is it? It is but a vapor. How can you not be troubled, my friend, as you pass by here today and be concerned about your never-dying soul? Does it not concern you that you could be swept away today, tonight? 
That obituary column in the newspaper has always got a name in it. Every week, in fact, every day there are names in it. And it's just a matter of time when your name's there and my name's there. But what after your life? Where are you going? David said, make me to know my end. What is your end? It's not the grave. You have another dying soul. We're told in Ecclesiastes and the Bible and the Old Testament that the dust goes back to the earth. The body that God gave us goes back to the earth and the spirit to God who gave it. The moment we die, we're ushered either into the presence of Almighty God or reserved in an awful place for the day of judgment. It's a solemn thing, friends. It's a solemn thing when I see young people passing by, or in fact even worse, when I see elderly people passing by with no concern, with no urgency, my friend, concerning your never-dying soul. It's a terrible thing. To just imagine you can think that God will not judge you for your sin. You know the Bible says, He is of purer eyes than to behold iniquity or sin. And the Bible says, There's nothing hid from the eyes of Him with whom we have to do. You know, you can't sweep the wrong things that you've done underneath the carpet, my friend. You can't hide those things from God. It'll be an awful thing for many that have passed by and have scorned the Word of God. You know, back in the days of Noah, and I know people perhaps inwardly will be sneering at what I'm about to say, but God did flood this earth somewhere around the year 1656. That is after creation. Rain was never experienced in this world before. There was a mist that covered the earth, we are told. And men laughed at the idea of a worldwide flood. But my dear friends, Noah the preacher of righteousness preached to the people in his day. And we're told that those souls now are reserved in a place of awful torment. And only eight people survived. Only eight people survived after Noah preached. Noah the preacher of righteousness. And he preached that men should repent, that is to turn, to turn from their way and to turn to God and to seek God. But only eight people were saved. The rest lost. And God destroyed the ancient world. It's no laughing matter. It's a serious matter. And the Lord Jesus said, when the Son of Man comes, it shall be just like on that great day when men were eating and drinking and being given up in marriage 
The world was carrying on. And then all of a sudden, God's judgment came. And there was no hope. And so will it be very soon. I don't know the day of the Lord Jesus Christ coming, but I know that it is imminent. I know that he said he will come quickly or suddenly. And what will be of so many people here who don't know that way of forgiveness? Let me say again, friend, we're not out here telling you that we're in any way better than other people in this world. What we say is that we are sinners and that we have looked unto Christ who is the Savior, who is the way, who is the truth. People are always talking about, I'm looking for truth. But truth never changes. And the truth of the Bible has never, never, never changed. Sadly today, with many of the modern church, they're trying to change the Word of God. And they're not teaching the truth. But Jesus is the truth. And His Word is truth. I tell you, I've been a Christian now for some 30, coming up 31 years. And I've never found there to be one error in the Bible. And the Lord Jesus has never betrayed me. He's never lied to me. Always, I've learned the truth. And the more I learn and discover about the Bible, the richer I find it to be, the greater I find it to be. My estimations of the Word of God are far higher than when I ever began to read it. And that's the truth. And the truth is this. He has said he is coming again. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Let me tell you this, he gives you a life now. When the Lord saves a man, he gives a man a real life. I was hearing a testimony of a lady just recently who, I can't say too much, but she was involved in a very illicit kind of lifestyle and so ashamed of it and for 38 years she was doing that and her mother warned her unless you repent you go to hell you go to a terrible place her mother was a Christian of course her mother died and when she died she thought well I can be a Christian and I go, can go to heaven and still have my sin. And I'm going to read the Bible, she said to herself. I'm going to read the Bible. And so she began reading for about a year and a half. And you know, as she began to read the Bible, the Bible started to change her. And she stopped that terrible life. Because, you see, the Word of God is so transforming. And we realize that so many things that we do are wrong. And God lifts us up, as it were, from a life of self, a life of foolishness, to a life 
of pleasing God. And we find this is really life. This is the meaning of life. And this was this woman's experience. And she said, you know, it's all in the power of God's word. And I'm often troubled by people who pass by here who would criticize the Bible, but I've hardly read a page. I, I ask them how much you know about the Bible. And normally you, you get some kind of muttering from their lips. They can't give you an answer because they've hardly read anything of the Bible. My friend, I hope you're not like that. Critical of the truth. But uh, do take one, sir. Critical of the truth but never read the Bible. Maybe you've even criticized the Lord Jesus, but you don't know him. How would you feel, dear friend, if somebody spoke unkindly toward you and yet didn't know you? You'd say, that's terrible. Well, of course it would be. It would be terrible, wouldn't it? If somebody spoke behind your back and said something unkind to you, but they didn't actually know you. They spoke about you. Well, how can you speak about God, you see, friend, if you don't know him, and if you don't know his word? And that's why I'd like to encourage you to come along to the church. We're a local Bible-believing church here in Hemel Hempstead, and we meet every week. On a Sunday, we call it the Lord's Day because that's when the Lord Jesus rose from the grave, triumphant over sin and death. And we meet to praise God and to teach people God's Word. And we'd love to see you come along. Our services are at 10.30 a.m. and 6 p.m. every Sunday. And we'd be glad to see you. I'm the pastor of the, the church, and I can assure you, you'd receive a very warm welcome if you came along. We also have a midweek service on a Tuesday at 7.30 p.m. And we meet on the corner of Lower Road and Red Lion Lane. Please do come along. There's plenty of free car park space there. And the folk are very warm and friendly. And we'd love to see you coming along. Please do come. I have my friend out here today with me, handing out tracts. We we'll also have some Gospels, if you'd like to take one, and uh, we'd be really glad to see you. But friends, don't dismiss these things, as I was saying. The Lord Jesus said, I am the truth. If you're looking for truth, look no further to him. He cannot lie. You know, the Bible says of one thing of God that he cannot do, and that is lie. And... I trust with Judgment Day, Honest Day today, I've come and brought you the truth of God's precious word. And there's nothing more precious in all the world, my friend, than the Bible. Because it points us to Jesus Christ, who is the way, the truth, and the life. And we glory in him. I close with one verse, Paul says. In Galatians, God forbid, he said, that I should glory, save in anything else but Jesus Christ.
most wonderful person you can know and meet in this life is God in the person of Christ. And I would urge you to give your soul no rest, my friend, until you come face to face, as it were, in the Word of God, with the truth as it is in Christ. Thank you for listening, and we hope to see you again. Uh, please do give your soul no rest and ponder these things. Time is short. Eternity, my friend, is forever. What will it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? Seek the Lord today, friend, while he may be found. Thank you for listening.